What a blessing. Always a thrill to preach after these things. Turn, if you would, to the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 20. Joshua chapter 20. Some of you may not be able to see from where you are, but I do have a cast on right here, a sling. Okay? So it's there, right there. All right? (laughs) Nobody take any pictures or anything while I don't have my sling on, please. Joshua chapter 20, and uh, we're in the Old Testament, but guys, the whole Word of God is about Jesus Christ. I mean, you can find Jesus in any book of the Old or New Testament, either one. It's about Jesus, and uh, don't get the idea that the Old Testament is about something else, and the New Testament finally gets to the subject of Jesus. I'm going to tell you, every book has a hero, and Jesus is the hero in every book. Joshua chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. Would you stand, please, in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word? The Bible says, And the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of the congregation there. And the land was subdued before them. And there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes, which had not yet received their inheritance. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, how long, wait a minute, I'm in chapter 18 here. I've already preached that, huh? I thought, bless God, we've already had that. All right. Looking in chapter 20 is where we are. I'm not sure my Bible has a 20. There it is. All right, chapter 20. Let's reboot this, all right? The Lord also spake unto Joshua, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint out for you cities of refuge, whereof I spake unto you by the hand of Moses. Now, the reason I read that chapter 18 and that first was <laughs> Shiloh was the central location there. That's the central place, okay? Now, in chapter 20, we're going to find them adding six new places to it. And uh, uh, verse 3, that the slayer that killeth any person unaware and unwittingly may flee there, and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. And when he had doth flee unto the, one of those cities, shall stand at the entering of the gate of the city, and shall declare his cause to the ears of the elders of that city. They shall take him into the city unto them, give him a place that he may dwell among them. And if the avenger of blood pursue after him, then they shall not deliver the slayer up into his hand, because he smote his brother unwittingly and hated him not before time. And he shall dwell in that city until he stand before the congregation for judgment, and until the death of the high priest that shall be in those days, then shall the slayer return, come into his own city, unto his own house." unto the city from whence he fled. And then he lists those cities, and we'll mention those during the sermon. Father, thank you for just the opportunity you have that you have given us as children of yours to come and worship and praise you and sing from the bottom of our hearts. Lord, I pray today, uh, if there's anybody here that doesn't have a song to sing, oh God, would you melt their heart and put a song within them. I pray today, if there's anyone here that's lonely, Lord, would you fill their soul with your Holy Spirit and help them to be a part of this service. Lord, we look to you for great things to happen. It's all on you, Father. 
We, we've done what we can do humanly possible, but you're the, you're the one. The Holy Spirit is the one that must call people and draw people, so we leave it in your hands and trust you to do your perfect work. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, uh, there's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ here in chapter 20 also, and uh, he even mentions it here uh, that... Uh, uh, in an illustration of this, if you go back in the book of Deuteronomy, just for an example, uh, say you're, you're chopping wood and uh, the axe head flies off the handle and strikes another guy and kills him. According to uh, the, the law, uh, that family of that person who was killed has a right to kill the one who killed him. You say, well, it was an accident. Well, that's why the cities of refuge are given here. Because that family would appoint someone called the avenger. And he would go out and avenge the blood of his family member. But we have these cities of refuge, and we're going to see exactly what, what they're for. God, in his mercy, said we need somewhere where this person... Uh, an, an, uh, an unintentional slayer can run and be safe. And the person who's having an avenger of blood on his trail, he's being hunted down to be slain. He, re he refers to the city of refuge. Now let me stop right in here and just make sure you understand what I'm talking about. We're not talking about a sanctuary city here. A sanctuary city in our country is for illegal people to go to. The city of refuge is for those who didn't intend to do it, and yet it happened. Okay? There's a big difference. And then you would plead your case to the elders, and if the elders said, no, we, we, we don't think you have a, a cause to be here at the city of refuge, they would turn him back over to the avenger. Okay? So I just wanted you to make sure you got that straight. Uh, you say, what does that have to do with us? What does that have to do with the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm so glad you asked that. Over in Hebrews chapter 6, if you want to turn there, I'll just read it for you there. Beginning in verse 17, listen. It says, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which he, it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Now that's Hebrews. That's out of the New Testament there. It, 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 wherein God, listen, somebody said, can God do anything? God can't lie. That's what the Word of God says right here. God can't lie. I can tell you that much. If you wrap up uh, again in verse 18, he said that literally this is, is himself so that we can press hope for the future set before us. Now, we're not doing the city of refuge anymore. You wonder why? Because Jesus is the city of refuge. But he's compared to a city of refuge here. So... It's, it's the same word, same idea here, that those of us who are saved, that we live in this age, we fled to refuge under the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nowhere else you can go, folks. Now, all of this is saying, first of all, to think of the saving nature of these cities. 
They were appointed so that someone could run to that city and be saved. That's the nature of it. Then I note here the nearness of these cities. They were strategically placed all around uh, Israel there. Some to the north, some to the south, some right in the very center, some to the east, some to the west. But they were strategically placed because they were cities of refuge. You had to be able to get to them in a hurry. To those of you who may not be saved today, you may have the idea that one of these days you'll be saved when God's especially near and maybe perhaps in a church service. Maybe God's going to move next to you or sit down beside you and, and, and say, this is your time. But I want to tell you something, friend. The Lord is always near you. He's near you right now this morning. Romans 10, 9 and 10, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. I heard uh, just a few, a little while ago, uh, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. God says it clearly. He says it clearly. You go back to verse 6 of, uh, of Romans. Let me flip right there real quick. Romans 10, listen. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend up into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep? That's to bring Christ up again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. You say, what does that mean? I'm saying that the Lord is in your mouth and he's in your heart right now. You say, well, how does that happen? I just preached it to you. That's how it happens. Now, just because he's in your mouth and just because he's in your heart does not mean that you're a Christian. It doesn't mean that you've accepted Christ. You just have an opportunity to have Christ in your heart and in your mouth right now. The decision's up to you. You, you can do what you want to. You say, well, that doesn't make any sense. Well, the word is nigh you. That's the word near. I heard this morning, it's not part of my sermon, but I thought that'll fit good there. One of my favorite singers is old Peg McCamey. She's just a good old country girl that just, whoo, I mean, she can just rattle the rafters. And they were singing just as I am this morning, the McCameys. I'm sure some of y'all have heard that. If you listen to real anointed gospel music. Uh, and it was just as I am. And Peg was talking about how easy it was to be saved, how difficult we make it sometimes. But she said in that song, all you got to remember is ABC. A, admit you're a sinner and you can't save yourself. B, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. C, confess it with your mouth and believe it in your heart. Now, we try to make that difficult. We try to bring theology into that. But I want to tell you, our Lord said, you've got to come just as a little child or you can't even get into heaven. Wow. The nature of these cities and then the nearness of these cities, they were all, listen, they had all kinds of rules. These cities of refuge, you'd be coming up a, a road and here's a four-lane highway leading to some city out there. That's a city of refuge. The priests had to regularly go, make sure no rocks were in the road. The, 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 if there was a stream, they had to build a bridge in case it happened to rain while somebody was trying to flee to the city of refuge. I mean, they made it so easy. 
And Jesus makes it so easy to come and be saved. You couldn't leave. I mean, everything had to be just right. I'm telling you, the way is simple and the way is plain. The way was marked. The way was easy. The way was near. And so it is. If you miss Christ today, he is right here. There's an old song that says, standing somewhere in the shadows, you'll find Jesus. He's standing there calling you. Hmm. The nature of these cities, the nearness of these cities, and then let's think about the names of these cities. Uh, there, there are <clears throat> six of them listed here. In verse 7, they appointed Kadesh. Now, Kadesh means holiness. Uh, they, they took one city and called that city holiness. Why? Because we serve a holy God. He's a holy Savior. Our Lord is holy, and He is our holiness. And I thank God for that. You can look at Zechariah 13, 1. In that day, there'll be a fountain open to the house of David, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and for sin and for uncleanness. You and I are sinners. I don't care who you are in this room, how good you think you are in this room. You're a sinner. If you've been saved, you're a sinner saved by grace. That's all you've got to brag about is the cross. That's it. That's the reason that Jesus had to be virgin born. People say, well, is it that big a deal that you have to, you know, you're going to fellowship based on whether or not Jesus is virgin born? If Jesus was not virgin born, he couldn't die for your sins. He would be just as dirty as you are. Listen, nothing dirty can ever clean anything up. You take dirty clothes and put them in dirty water, wash them all you want to. They're still going to be dirty clothes. The only way you can get cleaned up this morning is through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. Christ is holy, and because he is holy, he can be our Savior. Uh, and, and honestly, a sinner can't be anybody's Savior. So he has to be virgin born. So they speak of the holiness of Christ. But, but then the next city uh, after Kadesh is Shechem. That word means shoulder. It uh, speaks of a helpful place. Uh, you remember when the shepherd was counting his sheep and he had a hundred and one was gone. So he left the 99 and he went out to get the hundredth one. The Bible says when he found the sheep, he threw it on his shoulder and he brought the sheep back to the, to the herd or whatever they call sheep. I don't know. To the whole flock. Flock, I guess, is what it is. They brought the sheep back to the flock. He carried it on his shoulder. Oh, listen. Listen to me this morning. If you're here this morning, you're burdened down. You think, I don't know how I'm going to be able to make it. I want to tell you, we've got a refuge in Jesus. He, he'll take your burdens and he'll lift them up and he'll carry them for you. You're, you're, you're not supposed to be carrying your burdens. You ought to bring your burdens to him and leave them at the altar. Wow. Then we come to the third city. In verse 7, it's the word Hebron. And in that Hebrew, that means fellowship. So there's a place of holiness. There's a place of helpless, a helpfulness. And there's a place of harmony. We have fellowship with our Lord Jesus when we come into the city of refuge. Ah, uh, 1 John 3, 3 says that you have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. 
God is faithful, 1 Corinthians 1, 9, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son. It's not happenstance that these cities were here. Listen to me this morning. It's not happenstance that this church is here. You were called into the fellowship of this church. This fellowship does not belong to any of us. It belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, just to be totally honest with you, there's not a lot of room in harmony to be belly aching. I'll move on. I have fellowship when my alarm rang this morning at 6 o'clock. I said, Lord, good morning. Click, give me 15 more minutes, please. But I got up and greeted him and said, Lord, I love you. I love you. Can you say that today? I mean, in what you've said this morning, just in the house of God, does God know you love him in his house? Now, come on now. Let's just shoot straight here. Does God really know you love him based on what came out of your mouth and out of your heart this morning? See, that's important. We've got to have harmony in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're not walking with him and you're not talking with him, then something's wrong on your end of the phone. Because he desires to have fellowship with us. The next place in verse 8 is Bezer, and it means fortification or stronghold. Not only is this church in Jesus Christ uh, a place of harmony and a place of helpfulness, and, and it's also a place of fortification. The psalmist said that, uh, uh, well, it was in Proverbs, I guess, talking about the strong and mighty tower. We run into it. It's our fortification. This ought to be a fortification right here. Doesn't mean we're going to agree on everything, but it does mean, bless God, we ought to act like Christians. And then the next place is there is Ramon. Do you, it means the high place. High, Jesus is exalted. Therefore, by being by the right hand of God, exalted. He's speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 2.9, God hath also highly exalted him. But not only is he exalted, listen to me, not only is he exalted, but when we're with him, we are exalted also. That's what the Word of God says. We're not to be living in the dumps. We're exalted. Uh, Ephesians 2 says God has set the Lord Jesus in heavenly places, and then he's raised us up and made us sit together with him in heavenly places. I remind you that's in the present. See, some of you think, oh, yeah, one of these days we're going to get to heaven and we're going to be in heavenly. No. He set us up right now to divine places, to heavenly places right now. And then the last one is Golan, Golan, Golan. We hear a lot about Golan Heights today. We were in the Golan Heights here a couple of three weeks ago. And I'm telling you, the sweetest fruit you'll ever eat anywhere in, your wor in this world. Uh, those oranges, I don't even like oranges. But I bought them just, oh my goodness, that, you cannot believe it. And we'd go down a little further down south in Israel, they wasn't the same. Oh, they were good, but they wasn't. You know, I mean, you know, you know when you have a good orange or a good watermelon, you know how you know it's good? Because you've had enough bad ones to know what they taste like. <laughs> you've had enough mediocre ones. And then when you get one that is good, man, I want to tell you, it's a beautiful place. The word Golan means separated. Now, 
if you're going to talk about the world and the flesh here, you're, you're, see, you're going to say separated, man. The Bible says, come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord. And that means I'm going to have to live in a hermit all by myself. No, that's not what that means. That means come out from among the world and come into the refuge of God. We're in here. We're not separated in here. We're together in here. You're separated when you get out there in the world. Jesus is our refuge. The city of refuge was a place of separation where harm could not come. And uh, I want to tell you, uh, I had a guy tell me this week, the problem with us Baptist preachers is we're always wanting people to give up something. And I guess it's a perspective of how you look at it. I'm not asking you to give anything up this morning. I'm trying to get you to see what you can gain. When you come to Jesus, uh, the, the things you want to give up, hey, I'll, I'll just make this accord with you here. If you're lost and you come to Jesus and get saved by the blood of the Lamb and there's something you don't want to give up, don't give it up. Just keep on doing it. You're free. Just keep on doing it. You say, well, I, I like to do this, 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 and that's against the Word of God. No, I don't worry about that. Just keep on doing it. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit's going to bring such condemnation on you, uh, condemnation on you, you're not going to want to do it anymore. I'm looking at a room full of people that thought they had to do this, but then they got saved and found out the thing they used to like to do, they don't even want to do anymore. And if you'd have said one of them was going to be in prayer meeting on Wednesday night, they'd have laughed your head off. And yet the things they never would have done, suddenly they're wanting to do. Why is that? It's a city of refuge in Jesus. One last thing. I want you to see the nature of these cities. They speak of Christ, our refuge. The nearness of these cities speak about how near the Lord is to you and I. The names of these cities, every one of them speaks some way of the character of Christ and the blessings that he's given to us. I wish this last thing wasn't even here. But I wouldn't be truthful to you if I didn't tell you this fourth thing. There's a neglect of these cities. A neglect. There are so many, even in this room now, who have neglected these cities. We don't have time this morning, but... If you go over to 2 Samuel chapter 3, you'll find King David, Israel's greatest king. And he surrounded himself with some men. One of those men was Abner. And uh, Abner was a tremendous prince and a great man. Another one of those men was Joab. Joab was the Schwarzkopf of uh, King David's arsenal. He was the chief uh, joint commander there, commander-in-chief. A mighty warrior. Abner was a great man, a mighty man. But one day, Abner did something he didn't intend to do. Azahel, who is Joab's brother, kept on Abner the whole time. And Abner knew that he could take Azahel out anytime he wanted to. But he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. You can read it in 2 Samuel 3. It goes on and on. He wouldn't do it. Finally, one day, I, I don't know, in the split of a moment, he took his spear and ran it through Azahel and killed him. Didn't mean to. 
It was just a spur of a moment thing. Wasn't premeditated, didn't mean to murder him. Everyone, you know, it's just he continually was with him. So Joab becomes the avenger for his brother Azahel. Okay, are you with me? Abner is a fine guy. Joab is a fine guy. Azahel is dead now because Abner put a spear through him. So now Joab becomes the avenger. His family says, you go avenge the death of Azahel. And so he goes to do it. And so in 2 Samuel, uh, you'll find there, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, that they're standing at the gate. Abner is, Joab is, David is. They're, they're, they're at the gate to the city of refuge. They're, they're at the gate. They're right there. I mean, you step one step in, and he's, he's safe. He's safe. But Joab, when David left, he wasn't going to do anything while David was there. Brother Ponder, am I right? When David left, old Joab said, hey, Ab, come here. Let me, let me talk to you about something. And Abner turned around and walked out the city of the gate. And the Bible says that Joab put a knife under his fifth rib, and he died right there. Died. He's in, you talk about neglect. Now you say, how does, how does that affect us today? Well, I'll tell you how it affects us. Some of you are standing at the gate, ready to walk into Jesus. Now you know what they said, what David said when they told him that Abner was dead? The Bible says he lamented, he mourned, but he said, Abner died a fool. You see, Abner thought Joab was his friend, but he wasn't. He wasn't. He was ready to destroy him. And so instead of, of Abner just taking and going into the city of refuge and he would have been safe, he ends up being killed. Now, here's why he was killed. Hang with me. I'm almost through. He was deceived into thinking Joab was his friend. You want to know why some of y'all, your top business people, your wonderful teachers, your wonderful uh, people that work in construction and work at refineries and work at chemical companies and work in hospitals and work in lawyers' offices and work in the postal office and, you, and your wonderful people, but you've been deceived by the devil. And this morning you're standing right there at the gate. And God's saying, come on in. Come on in. You come to this city of refuge. You come to Jesus. And you're safe forever. I, I be, uh, Darren, I've never heard that song before. But I thought, Lord, have mercy. The words to that song. Yeah, I mean, it's like that song's right here. Here Jesus is over here saying, with open arms, come. All you that labor and heavy laden, come. I'll give you rest. But the devil's over here deceiving. And there are a lot of people that the devil thinks, well, he's not that bad. It's not that bad. But they're being deceived. And here we are standing right in the middle. David said when he heard that Abner was dead, that he died as a fool. Died as a fool. Have mercy. They buried him 
Abner in Hebron, and the king, this David, lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner. And all the people wept, and the king lamented. And he said, died Abner as a fool dies. His hands were not bound. His feet were not put in fetters. As a man that falleth before wicked man, so fell thou. And all the people wept again over him. Over who? They were weeping over Abner who was slain. And then you skip down to verse 38. And the king said unto his servants, Know ye not that there is a prince and a great man fallen this day in Israel? (laughs) And we'll come one day and there'll be a casket right here or in a funeral home somewhere. And we'll talk about what a great man. And there'll be people that have come by and say, rest in peace. But the real truth of the matter is, without Christ, before the undertaker ever knows you're dead, you're already in hell. The question is, as we're standing here, come to Christ. Because he can redeem you. He can bring holiness to you. He can bring peace to you. He, whatever you need, he is. But the devil looks good. Those of you who think the devil always shows up in a red suit with horns and a pitchfork, you're wrong. He doesn't come in that way. He doesn't come in that way. I find this story hard to believe. I mean, I, I'm thinking if this is some country you who that doesn't know anything his right hand from his left or whatever maybe that's one thing but we're talking about Abner the prince a sharp guy an intelligent guy fell because of a cunning deception and I want to tell you there's some of you in this room today that are princes and you think that you and the devil are going to be all right together but he's deceiving you and he will destroy you a sad thing. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, the man who does not prepare for death and knows he's going to die is worse than a fool. He's a madman. Now, I just got a minute. (laughs) But the scripture says, don't listen to me. Listen to what the scripture says. It is appointed to man to die. Would, would you agree every one of us is going to die in here? Every one of us is going to die. So what Spurgeon is saying is, if you know you're going to die and you don't prepare for it, you're nothing but a fool. You're, not, you're a madman. You're not in your right mind. I read a story that Billy Sunday uh, quoted, a true story. Billy Sunday was kind of like the Billy Graham of his day. He was a little bit more reckless, I guess, or radical. I guess that's the word I'm looking for. A little bit more radical than Billy Graham, but in his day, he was a tremendous evangelist. And uh, he said uh, there, there was a, uh, a man who had committed a crime in Pennsylvania, and they were going to hang him. And his mother went to see the governor, whose name was Pollock at that time, Governor Pollock, the governor of Pennsylvania. And she wanted the governor to pardon this man. Now, the governor was a good man. He was a godly man. He was a Christian man. And the the governor felt like the man had really done the crime and that he was worthy of death and the man ought to die. 
And the woman the day before the execution came to the governor's office. She didn't have an appointment. She said, I want to see the governor. The secretary said, I'm sorry. Uh, she said, I've got to see him. She said, I'm sorry. She said, I must see him. And she just walked right on in on the governor. The woman got down on her hands and knees and on her face and grabbed hold of the governor's knees and began to weep in the carpet and clawed her way up to the governor's desk and said, please, please pardon my son. The governor said, ma'am, I can't do that. But he said, I'll tell you what I will do. I'll go visit your son and I'll talk to him about his soul and I'll see if he's saved, if he's ready to die. And that good, godly governor of Pennsylvania, Governor Pollock, went into that jail cell. The jailer opened the door. The governor walked in. He said, hello, son. The boy never lifted his face. He said, son, I've come to talk with you. Can we talk? The boy never lifted his face. He said, son, would you give me the courtesy of just listening to me for a little while? The boy never lifted his face, never uttered a grunt. The governor got up and said, well, I, I must go. And the door shut. The governor walked off. While the governor was walking off, the keeper of the prison and the warden said, goodbye, governor. And when he said that, the young man stood straight up. He said, was, was that the governor? He, he said, yes, that was the governor that came in. The governor was sitting right next to me? Yes, that was the governor of Pennsylvania. The man who could have pardoned me was right next to me? Yes. Yes. Jesus is right next to you this morning. It's not something to play with. If you need to be saved, today's the day of salvation. But not only on salvation, it's also a day of maybe you've got something that's bothering you and you're family references or, or maybe work or school or anything and you just need to come to this altar and say Lord there was a day when I was concerned about lost souls but honestly Lord I've come here this morning I come to have a good time of worship I'm really not interested if anybody got saved or not you ought to be ashamed you ought to be at this altar weeping for lost souls some of them members of your family some of them people you work with Hmm. Maybe today you need a church home. Th this is not the church for everybody. I've told you for 14 years what this church needs is a good pastor. Other than that, it's in good shape. But I want to tell you, you won't find another church that'll love you and put their arms around you and stand with you than this church right here. If God's leading you to come, then you come. If God's not, then you don't. We're going to have a time of invitation. Some of you may be new and say, I don't even know what an invitation is. Well, I'm inviting you to come to the one who's standing right next to you right now. And say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Can't save myself. Would you save me? Father, thank you today for the joy of being in this service. Thank you for this scripture, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the cities of refuge. What a blessing. Always a thrill to preach after these things. Turn, if you would, to the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 20. Joshua chapter 20. Some of you may not be able to see from where you are, but I do have a cast on right here, a sling. Okay? So 
Just, it's there, right there, all right? <laughs> Nobody take any pictures or anything while I don't have my sling on, please. What a blessing. Always a thrill to preach after these things. Turn, if you would, to the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 20. Joshua chapter 20. Some of you may not be able to see from where you are, but I do have a cast on right here, a sling. Okay? So just, it's there, right there. All right? <laughs> Nobody take any pictures or anything while I don't have my sling on, please. Joshua chapter 20. And uh, we're in the Old Testament. But guys, the whole Word of God is about Jesus Christ. I mean, you can find Jesus in any book of the Old or New Testament, either one. It's about Jesus. And uh, don't get the idea that the Old Testament is about something else and the New Testament finally gets to the subject of Jesus. I'm going to tell you, every book has a hero, and Jesus is the hero in every book. Joshua chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. Would you stand, please, and honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word. The Bible says, And the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of the congregation there. And the land was subdued before them. And there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes, which had not yet received their inheritance. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, How long... Wait a minute, I'm in chapter 18 here. I've already preached that, huh? I thought, bless God, we've already had that. All right. Looking in chapter 20 is where we are. I'm not sure my Bible has a 20. There it is. All right, chapter 20. Let's reboot this, all right? The Lord also spake unto Joshua, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint out for you cities of refuge, whereof I spake unto you by the hand of Moses. Now, the reason I read that chapter 18 in that first was Shiloh was the central location there. That's the central place, okay? Now, in chapter 20, we're going to find them adding six new places to it. And uh, uh, verse 3, that the slayer that killeth any person unaware and unwittingly may flee there, and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. And when he had doth flee unto the one of those cities, shall stand at the entering of the gate of the city, and shall declare his cause to the ears of the elders of that city. They shall take him into the city unto them, give him a place that he may dwell among them. And if the avenger of blood pursue after him, then they shall not deliver the slayer up into his hand, because he smote his brother unwittingly and hated him not before time. And he shall dwell in that city until he stand before the congregation for judgment and until the death of the high priest that shall be in those days. Then shall the slayer return, come into his own city, unto his own house, unto the city from whence he fled. And then he lists those cities and will mention those during the sermon. Father, thank you for just the opportunity you have that you have given us as children of yours to come and worship and praise you and sing from the bottom of our hearts. Lord, I pray today, uh, if there's anybody here that doesn't have a song to sing, oh God, would you melt their heart and put a song within them. I pray today, if there's anyone here that's lonely, 
Lord, would you fill their soul with your Holy Spirit and help them to be a part of this service. Lord, we look to you for great things to happen. It's all on you, Father. We, we've done what we can do humanly possible, but you're the, you're the one. The Holy Spirit is the one that must call people and draw people, so we leave it in your hands and trust you to do your perfect work. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, uh, there's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ here in chapter 20 also. And uh, he even mentions it here uh, that uh, uh, in an illustration of this, if you go back in the book of Deuteronomy, just for an example, uh, say you're, you're chopping wood and uh, the axe head flies off the handle and strikes another guy and kills him. According to uh, the, the law, uh, that family of that person who was killed has a right to kill the one who killed him. You say, well, it was an accident. Well, that's why the cities of refuge are given here. Because that family would appoint someone called the avenger. And he would go out and avenge the blood of his family member. But we have these cities of refuge, and we're going to see exactly what, what they're for. God in his mercy said, we need somewhere where this person, uh, an, an, uh, an unintentional slayer, can run and be safe. And the person who's having an avenger of blood on his trail, he's being hunted down to be slain. He, re he refers to the city of refuge. Now let me stop right in here and just make sure you understand what I'm talking about. We're not talking about a sanctuary city here. A sanctuary city in our country is for illegal people to go to. The city of refuge is for those who didn't intend to do it, and yet it happened. Okay? There's a big difference. And then you would plead your case to the elders, and if the elders said, no, we, we, we don't think you have a, a cause to be here at the city of refuge. They would turn him back over to the avenger. Okay, so I just wanted you to make sure you got that straight. Uh, you say, what does that have to do with us? What does that have to do with the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm so glad you asked that. O over in Hebrews chapter 6, if you want to turn there, I'll, I'll just read it for you there. Beginning in verse 17, listen, it says, Wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which he, it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Now that's Hebrews. That's out of the New Testament there. It, 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 wherein God, listen, Somebody said, can God do anything? God can't lie. That's what the Word of God says right here. God can't lie. I can tell you that much. If you wrap up uh, again in verse 18, he said that literally this is, is himself so that we can press hope for the future set before us. Now, we're not doing the city of refuge anymore. You wonder why? Because Jesus is the city of refuge. But he's compared to a city of refuge here. So it's, it's the same word, same idea here, that those of us who are saved, that we live in this age, we fled to refuge under the Lord Jesus Christ. 
There's nowhere else you can go, folks. Now, all of this is saying, first of all, to think of the saving nature of these cities. They were appointed so that someone could run to that city and be saved. That's the nature of it. Then I note here the nearness of these cities. They were strategically placed all around uh, Israel there. Some to the north, some to the south, some right in the very center, some to the east, some to the west. But they were strategically placed because they were cities of refuge. You had to be able to get to them in a hurry. To those of you who may not be saved today, you may have the idea that one of these days you'll be saved when God's especially near and maybe perhaps in a church service. Maybe God's going to move next to you or sit down beside you and, and, and say, this is your time. But I want to tell you something, friend. The Lord is always near you. He's near you right now this morning. Romans 10, 9 and 10, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. I heard uh, just a few, a little while ago, uh, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. God says it clearly. He says it clearly. You go back to verse 6 of, uh, of Romans. Let me flip right there real quick. Romans 10, listen. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend up into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep? That's to bring Christ up again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. You say, what does that mean? I'm saying that the Lord is in your mouth and he's in your heart right now. You say, well, how does that happen? I just preached it to you. That's how it happens. Now, just because he's in your mouth and just because he's in your heart does not mean that you're a Christian. It doesn't mean that you've accepted Christ. You just have an opportunity to have Christ in your heart and in your mouth right now. The decision's up to you. You, you can do what you want to. You say, well, that doesn't make any sense. Well, the word is nigh you. That's the word near. I heard this morning, it's not part of my sermon, but I thought that'll fit good there. One of my favorite singers is old Peg McCamey. She's just a good old country girl that just, whoo, I mean, she can just rattle the rafters. And they were singing just as I am this morning, the McCameys. I'm sure some of y'all have heard that. If you listen to real anointed gospel music. Uh, and it was just as I am. And Peg was talking about how easy it was to be saved, how difficult we make it sometimes. But she said in that song, all you got to remember is ABC. A, admit you're a sinner and you can't save yourself. B, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. C, confess it with your mouth and believe it in your heart. Now, we try to make that difficult. We try to bring theology into that. But I want to tell you, our Lord said, you've got to come just as a little child or you can't even get into heaven. Wow. The nature of these cities and then the nearness of these cities, they were all, listen, they had all kinds of rules. These cities of refuge, you'd be coming up a, a road and here's a four-lane highway leading to some city out there. That's a city of refuge. 
The priests had to regularly go make sure no rocks were in the road. The, the, there, if there was a stream, they had to build a bridge in case it happened to rain while somebody was trying to flee to the city of refuge. I mean, they made it so easy. And Jesus makes it so easy to come and be saved. You couldn't leave. I mean, everything had to be just right. I'm telling you, the way is simple and the way is plain. The way was marked. The way was easy. The way was near. And so it is. If you miss Christ today, he is right here. There's an old song that says, standing somewhere in the shadows, you'll find Jesus. He's standing there calling you. Hmm. The nature of these cities, the nearness of these cities, and then let's think about the names of these cities. Uh, there, there are <clears throat> six of them listed here. In verse 7, they appointed Kadesh. Now, Kadesh means holiness. Uh, they, they took one city and called that city holiness. Why? Because we serve a holy God. He's a holy Savior. Our Lord is holy, and He is our holiness. And I thank God for that. You can look at Zechariah 13, 1. In that day, there'll be a fountain open to the house of David, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and for sin and for uncleanness. You and I are sinners. I don't care who you are in this room, how good you think you are in this room. You're a sinner. If you've been saved, you're a sinner saved by grace. That's all you've got to brag about is the cross. That's it. That's the reason that Jesus had to be virgin born. People say, well, is it that big a deal that you have to, you know, you're going to fellowship based on whether or not Jesus is virgin born? If Jesus was not virgin born, he couldn't die for your sins. He would be just as dirty as you are. Listen, nothing dirty can ever clean anything up. You take dirty clothes and put them in dirty water, wash them all you want to. They're still going to be dirty clothes. The only way you can get cleaned up this morning is through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. Christ is holy, and because he is holy, he can be our Savior. Uh, and, and honestly, a sinner can't be anybody's Savior. So he has to be virgin-born. So they speak of the holiness of Christ. But, but then the next city uh, after Kadesh is Shechem. That word means shoulder. It uh, speaks of a helpful place. Uh, you remember when the shepherd was counting his sheep and he had a hundred and one was gone. So he left the 99 and he went out to get the hundredth one. The Bible says when he found the sheep, he threw it on his shoulder and he brought the sheep back to the, to the herd or whatever they call sheep. I don't know. To the whole flock. Flock, I guess, is what it is. They brought the sheep back to the flock. He carried it on his shoulder. Oh, listen. Listen to me this morning. If you're here this morning, you're burdened down. You think, I don't know how I'm going to be able to make it. I want to tell you, we've got a refuge in Jesus. He, he'll take your burdens and he'll lift them up and he'll carry them for you. You're, you're, you're not supposed to be carrying your burdens. You ought to bring your burdens to him and leave them at the altar. Wow. Then we come to the third city. In verse 7, it's the word Hebron. And in that Hebrew, that means fellowship. So there's a place of holiness. There's a place of helpless, a helpfulness. And there's a place of harmony. We have fellowship with our Lord Jesus when we come into the city of refuge. 
Ah, First John 3, 3 says that you have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. God is faithful, 1 Corinthians 1, 9, by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son. It's not happenstance that these cities were here. Listen to me this morning. It's not happenstance that this church is here. You were called into the fellowship of this church. This fellowship does not belong to any of us. It belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, just to be totally honest with you, there's not a lot of room in harmony to be bellyaching. I'll move on. I have fellowship when my alarm rang this morning at 6 o'clock. I said, Lord, good morning. Click, give me 15 more minutes, please. <laughs> but I got up and greeted him and said, Lord, I love you. I love you. Can you say that today? I mean, in what you've said this morning, just in the house of God, does God know you love him in his house? Now, come on now. Let's just shoot straight here. Does God really know you love him based on what came out of your mouth and out of your heart this morning? See, that's important. We've got to have harmony in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're not walking with him and you're not talking with him, then something's wrong on your end of the phone because he desires to have fellowship with us. The next place in verse 8 is Bezer, and it means fortification or stronghold. Not only is this church in Jesus Christ uh, a place of harmony and a place of helpfulness, and, and it's also a place of fortification. The psalmist said that, uh, uh, well, it was in Proverbs, I guess, talking about the strong and mighty tower. We run into it. It's our fortification. This ought to be a fortification right here. Doesn't mean we're going to agree on everything, but it does mean, bless God, we ought to act like Christians. And then the next place is there is Ramon. Do you, it means the high place. High, Jesus is exalted. Therefore, by being by the right hand of God, exalted. He's speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 2.9, God hath also highly exalted him. But not only is he exalted, listen to me, not only is he exalted, but when we're with him, we are exalted also. That's what the Word of God says. We're not to be living in the dumps. We're exalted. Uh, Ephesians 2 says God has set the Lord Jesus in heavenly places, and then he's raised us up and made us sit together with him in heavenly places. I remind you that's in the present. See, some of you think, oh, yeah, one of these days we're going to get to heaven and we're going to be in heavenly. No. He set us up right now to divine places, to heavenly places right now. And then the last one is Golan, Golan, Golan. We hear a lot about Golan Heights today. We were in the Golan Heights here a couple of three weeks ago. And I'm telling you, the sweetest fruit you'll ever eat anywhere in, your wor in this world. Uh, those oranges, I don't even like oranges. But I bought them just, oh my goodness, that, you cannot believe it. And we'd go down a little further down south in Israel, they wasn't the same. Oh, they were good, but they wasn't. You know, I mean, you know, you know when you have a good orange or a good watermelon, you know how you know it's good? Because you've had enough bad ones to know what they taste like. <laughs> you've had enough mediocre ones. And then when you get one that is good, 
Man, I want to tell you. It's a beautiful place. The word Golan means separated. Now, if you're going to talk about the world and the flesh here, you're, you're, see, you're going to say separated. Man, the Bible says, come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord. And that means I'm going to have to live in a hermit all by myself. No, that's not what that means. That means come out from among the world and come into the refuge of God. We're in here. We're not separated in here. We're together in here. You're separated when you get out there in the world. Jesus is our refuge. The city of refuge was a place of separation where harm could not come. And uh, I want to tell you... uh, I had a guy tell me this week, the problem with us Baptist preachers is we're always wanting people to give up something. And I guess it's a perspective of how you look at it. I'm not asking you to give anything up this morning. I'm trying to get you to see what you can gain. When you come to Jesus, uh, the the things you want to give up, I'll, I'll just make this accord with you here. If you're lost and you come to Jesus and get saved by the blood of the Lamb, and there's something you don't want to give up, don't give it up. Just keep on doing it. You're free. Just keep on doing it. You say, well, I I like to do this, 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 and that's against the Word of God. No, I don't worry about that. Just keep on doing it. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit's going to bring such condemnation on you, condemnation on you, you're not going to want to do it anymore. I'm looking at a room full of people that thought they had to do this, but then they got saved and found out the thing they used to like to do, they don't even want to do anymore. And if you'd have said one of them was going to be in prayer meeting on Wednesday night, they'd have laughed your head off. And yet the things they never would have done, suddenly they're wanting to do. Why is that? It's a city of refuge in Jesus. One last thing. I want you to see the nature of these cities They speak of Christ, our refuge. The nearness of these cities speak about how near the Lord is to you and I. The names of these cities, every one of them speaks some way of the character of Christ and the blessings that he's given to us. I wish this last thing wasn't even here. But I wouldn't be truthful to you if I didn't tell you this fourth thing. There's a neglect of these cities. A neglect. There are so many even in this room now, who have neglected these cities. We don't have time this morning, but if you go over to 2 Samuel chapter 3, you'll find King David, Israel's greatest king, and he surrounded himself with some men. One of those men was Abner, and uh, Abner was a tremendous prince and a great man. Another one of those men was Joab. Joab was the Schwarzkopf of uh, King David's arsenal. He was the chief uh, joint commander there, commander-in-chief, a mighty warrior. Abner was a great man, a mighty man. But one day, Abner did something he didn't intend to do. Azahel, who is Joab's brother, kept on Abner the whole time. And Abner knew that he could take Azahel out anytime he wanted to, but he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. You can read it in 2 Samuel 3. It goes on and on. He wouldn't do it. Finally, one day, I I don't know, in the split of a moment, 
He took his spear and ran it through Azahel and killed him. Didn't mean to. It was just a spur of a moment thing. Wasn't premeditated. Didn't mean to murder him. Everyone, you know, it's just he continually was with him. So Joab becomes the avenger for his brother Azahel. Okay, are you with me? Abner is a fine guy. Joab is a fine guy. Azahel is dead now because Abner put a spear through him. So now Joab becomes the avenger. His family says, you go avenge the death of Azahel. And so he goes to do it. And so in 2 Samuel, uh, you'll find there, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, that they're standing at the gate. Abner is, Joab is, David is. They're, they're, they're at the gate to the city of refuge. They're, they're at the gate. They're right there. I mean, you step one step in, and he's, he's safe. He's safe. But Joab, when David left, he wasn't going to do anything while David was there. Brother Ponder, am I right? When David left, old Joab said, hey, Ab, come here. Let me, let me talk to you about something. And Abner turned around and walked out the city of the gate. And the Bible says that Joab put a knife under his fifth rib, and he died right there. Died. He's in, you talk about neglect. Now you say, how does, how does that affect us today? Well, I'll tell you how it affects us. Some of you are standing at the gate, ready to walk into Jesus. Now, you know what they said, what David said when they told him that Abner was dead? The Bible says he lamented, he mourned, but he said, Abner died a fool. You see, Abner thought Joab was his friend, but he wasn't. He wasn't. He was ready to destroy him. And so instead of, of Abner just taking and going into the city of refuge and he would have been safe, he ends up being killed. Now here's why he was killed. Hang with me. I'm almost through. He was deceived into thinking Joab was his friend. You want to know why some of y'all, your top business people, your wonderful teachers, your wonderful uh, people that work in construction and work at refineries and work at chemical companies and work in hospitals and work in lawyers' offices and work in the postal office and, you, and you're wonderful people, but you've been deceived by the devil. And this morning you're standing right there at the gate and God's saying, come on in. Come on in. You come to this city of refuge. You come to Jesus, and you're safe forever. I, I be, uh, Darren, I have never heard that song before, but I thought, Lord, have mercy. The words to that song. Yeah, I mean, it's like that song's right here. Here Jesus is over here saying, with open arms, come. All you that labor and heavy laden, come. I'll give you rest. But the devil's over here deceiving. And there are a lot of people that the devil thinks, well, he's not that bad. It's not that bad. But they're being deceived. And here we are standing right in the middle. David said when he heard that Abner was dead that he died as a fool. 
died as a fool. Have mercy. They buried him, Abner in Hebron, and the king, this David, lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner. And all the people wept, and the king lamented, and he said, died Abner as a fool dies. His hands were not bound. His feet were not put in fetters. As a man that falleth before wicked man, so fell thou. And all the people wept again over him. Over who? They were weeping over Abner who was slain. And then you skip down to verse 38. And the king said unto his servants, Know ye not that there is a prince and a great man fallen this day in Israel? (laughs) And we'll come one day and there'll be a casket right here or in a funeral home somewhere. And we'll talk about what a great man. And there'll be people that come by and say, rest in peace. But the real truth of the matter is, without Christ, before the undertaker ever knows you're dead, you're already in hell. The question is, as we're standing here, come to Christ. Because he can redeem you. He can bring holiness to you. He can bring peace to you. He, whatever you need, he is. But the devil looks good. Those of you who think the devil always shows up in a red suit with horns and a pitchfork, you're wrong. He doesn't come in that way. He doesn't come in that way. I find this story hard to believe. I mean, I, I'm thinking if this is some country you who that doesn't know anything his right hand from his left or whatever maybe that's one thing but we're talking about Abner the prince a sharp guy an intelligent guy fell because of a cunning deception and I want to tell you there's some of you in this room today that are princes and you think that you and the devil are going to be all right together but he's deceiving you and he will destroy you a sad thing. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, the man who does not prepare for death and knows he's going to die is worse than a fool. He's a madman. Now, I just got a minute. (laughs) But the scripture says, don't listen to me. Listen to what the scripture says. It is appointed to man to die. Would, would you agree every one of us is going to die in here? Every one of us is going to die. So what Spurgeon is saying is, if you know you're going to die and you don't prepare for it, you're nothing but a fool. You're, not, you're a madman. You're not in your right mind. I read a story that Billy Sunday uh, quoted, a true story. Billy Sunday was kind of like the Billy Graham of his day. He was a little bit more reckless, I guess, or radical. I guess that's the word I'm looking for. A little bit more radical than Billy Graham, but in his day, he was a tremendous evangelist. And uh, he said uh, there, there was a, uh, a man who had committed a crime in Pennsylvania, and they were going to hang him. And his mother went to see the governor, whose name was Pollock at that time, Governor Pollock, the governor of Pennsylvania. And she wanted the governor to pardon this man. Now, the governor was a good man. He was a godly man. He was a Christian man. And the the governor felt like the man had really done the crime and that he was worthy of death and the man ought to die. 
And the woman the day before the execution came to the governor's office. She didn't have an appointment. She said, I want to see the governor. The secretary said, I'm sorry. Uh, she said, I've got to see him. She said, I'm sorry. She said, I must see him. And she just walked right on in on the governor. The woman got down on her hands and knees and on her face and grabbed hold of the governor's knees and began to weep in the carpet and clawed her way up to the governor's desk and said, please, please pardon my son. The governor said, ma'am, I can't do that. But he said, I'll tell you what I will do. I'll go visit your son and I'll talk to him about his soul and I'll see if he's saved, if he's ready to die. And that good godly governor of Pennsylvania, Governor Pollock went into that jail cell the jailer opened the door. The governor walked in. He said, hello, son. The boy never lifted his face. He said, son, I've come to talk with you. Can we talk? The boy never lifted his face. He said, son, would you give me the courtesy of just listening to me for a little while? The boy never lifted his face, never uttered a grunt. The governor got up and said, well, I, I must go. And the door shut. The governor walked off. While the governor was walking off, the keeper of the prison and the warden said, Goodbye, governor. And when he said that, the young man stood straight up. He said, Was, was that the governor? He, he said, Yes, that was the governor that came in. The governor was sitting right next to me? Yes, that was the governor of Pennsylvania. The man who could have pardoned me was right next to me? Yes. Yes. Jesus is right next to you this morning. It's not something to play with. If you need to be saved, today's the day of salvation. But not only on salvation, it's also a day of maybe you've got something that's bothering you, your family references, or, or maybe work or school or anything, and you just need to come to this altar and say, Lord, there was a day when I was concerned about lost souls, but... Honestly, Lord, I've come here this morning. I come to have a good time of worship. I'm really not interested if anybody got saved or not. You ought to be ashamed. You ought to be at this altar weeping for lost souls. Some of them members of your family. Some of them people you work with. Hmm. Maybe today you need a church home. This is not the church for everybody. I've told you for 14 years... What this church needs is a good pastor. Other than that, it's in good shape. But I want to tell you, you won't find another church that'll love you and put their arms around you and stand with you than this church right here. If God's leading you to come, then you come. If God's not, then you don't. We're going to have a time of invitation. Some of you may be new and say, I don't even know what an invitation is. Well, I'm inviting you to come to the one who's standing right next to you right now and say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Can't save myself. Would you save me? Father, thank you today for the joy of being in this service. Thank you for this scripture, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the cities of refuge. What a blessing. Always a thrill to preach after these things. Turn, if you would, to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 20, Joshua chapter 20. Some of you may not be able to see from where you are, but I do have a cast on right here, a sling, okay? So 
Just, it's there, right there, all right? <laughs> Nobody take any pictures or anything while I don't have my sling on, please. 